name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I was looking for the bishop so that I don't get in trouble. Um, before I get into today's, to this lecture, um, I was really tired last night, so I want to clarify something in the analogy that I used um, about like the hooker jumping in my lap. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> there's a detail missing, <laughs> which would be that she gives me a hug right because i'm gonna die tomorrow <laughs> and i say she knows what she's doing um so it's not just random people jumping in my lap um so i just want to clarify that on the mic um for everybody okay i'm definitely not repeating that um, <laughs> um where's my head Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> um, so we ended off yesterday with Christ's clear instructions that anybody who would be who is a would-be follower of Him has to deny His will, um, and self-denial, which is synonymous with love, is also to me synonymous with service. Um, like those three concepts in, in, in the gospel, they're they're virtually interchangeable. Um, and that's why, um, I'm glad we used the foot washing scenario, um, because the foot washing is actually, a, is a symbol of that. Um, there's a book, um, you guys may want to check out or not, there's, I forgot to tell it to somebody who was speaking to me earlier, um, about manners and customs of the Bible. Like, it's helpful to know, like, what are the, the rituals and stuff. So obviously in a, in a, in a population that didn't have cars, um, walking was the most common, um, if you were so fortunate to have a beast that you could ride, then you could ride a beast, but you were always outside. And so when you went to somebody's house, um, the most common courtesy would be to, at least if you don't wash their feet, your, their feet yourself, um, the most common courtesy would be to give your guest water um, to wash the feet with. That would have been the expected. And that's actually why our Lord reproves the... The person whose house he is, and he's saying, he's like, you didn't, you didn't offer me even the courtesy of water, right? Like, you, you didn't even think to give me that. Um, but this lady over here, she did. Um, and that's why, for example, when um, Abraham sends one of his servants out to um, find a lady friend for his son, um, one of the first things she does is offer water for his feet, right? Um, like, it's, it's repeated over and over in the Bible, you'll see it. And this is why our Lord, when he sat with the apostles um, at the Last Supper, the first thing he did was get down and wash their feet, right? To make a point of, of what, it, what it looks like. Um, it's because the Lord wanted them to see, to see the, for the disciples to see, it had a symbolic, mystical meaning, but it also had a direct meaning of saying, look at what I'm doing and do the same. That if you want to follow me, this is what's expected from you. Right, which is, again, the opposite of what they were expecting from the Messiah. They thought the Messiah was going to be restoring kingship. So for all would-be followers of, of our Lord, this is what he says. Um, when Jesus saw great crowds around him. So there's a lot of people that were, like, wanted to see what was going on. He gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said... Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
And one of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go, for, go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So these aren't the, like the lovey-dovey words that you're probably like expecting where you're like, oh, for sure, man, like go and, and I'll be waiting for you. He's like, no. Um, because to be a disciple, which is what this retreat is about, is, is to be completely detached. Because he's saying, I'm, I am the king of kings and I, I don't, I'm homeless, right? For like, like, relatively speaking. So if you're concerned about how you're going to eat and how you're going to drink and all this stuff, it means that your willingness to follow truth is not primary. It's going to be secondary, right? It's going to be contingent upon other needs being met. And if it's contingent upon that, then he's like, then this, that's not a true discipleship. Right? It has to be something that's complete and whole. So you, want, you, you need to want nothing more than to be like your teacher. Um, and the teacher gave us teachings, which is the Sermon on the Mount in particular that we're going to talk about today. Um, and he gives a commandment. He's like, okay, I'm giving you a commandment. And he's saying I'm giving you a new commandment. He's saying the old one is done. Okay? And the new one um, is that you love one another as I have loved you. And then, and then that forces you to do the whole what we did yesterday is look at Jesus, right? Look at his life and how did he show us love, right? Is that, and, and he said, no love, and there's no greater love than you're willing to die for, for a friend, which he did, right? And so he's saying, you're called to be exactly like that if you want to be my disciple. If you want to be my disciple, then the rule is give, not take. That's, that's the new rule. Um, and the reason why I'm, I'm spending some time on that is to say that this isn't optional. This is the commandment, right? And that not optional thing is, is a really big deal. And he even starts off, when we get into the Sermon on the Mount, he, he starts off saying, you have heard how it was said, okay? And, and the reason why he's saying you've heard how it said is to say, like, I'm, I'm not dumb. I know what normal people say, right? So you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye. No. Right? That's, that's, that's not how, how it's, it's going to go. Um, and he's avoiding the conflict, conflict of, of, the, of the hearers being like, no, 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 like, you, you don't get it. Right? Which is actually something that we're met with today. Right? Like, today, if you're like, no, don't defend your rights, and they're like, yeah, but I don't want to be a pushover. And it's like, so is that your ideal, to not be a pushover? Is that your ideal of who to be? Because if you're going to be regulated by your fear of being a pushover because you care that much about your dignity, no problem. That's your choice. But you're not going to be a true disciple because your obsession is not about what is the right thing to do, right? Your obsession is, first, how do I look? Second, what is the most right thing to do? And so long as for you, the secondary is the most right thing to do, then what our Lord is saying to us, not me, is you're not my disciple, right? Like, because that, like, is different from falling, Right? It's different from falling. It's different from struggling for the ideal and falling short than it is to say, I will not do that because of this. Right? Or that does not make sense because of this. Right? Or for example, not to get all like, too, too serious, but for example, sometimes when there's spousal abuse, and I obviously do not advocate spousal abuse, nor do I expect that a woman has to be um, enduring that. Okay? So that's not the point that I'm trying to make at all. However, when everybody's immediate reaction is, you go divorce that guy. Um, as opposed to seeing what the person is willing and able to do. 
Um, and what that love, because, and, and I, I, I'm saying this as an example because I, I have said that to someone before. Um, and I was shocked at how the love of a woman actually converted her, her, her abusive husband. I'm not saying that's always the case, but I'm just saying when your first gut instinct is not the gospel, you do not permit the effects of discipleship to be seen, right? When that's your, 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 your gut thing, because the, the right thing to say is you ain't got to take that, right? Like you need to respect yourself. And I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that a woman should sit there and get beat and say, I love it. Okay. I'm simply saying, where is our mindset in this? Um, so what's wrong with an eye for an eye? There is absolutely no love in that. There's no self-denial in an eye for an eye. Um, and as a matter of fact, it makes everyone defensive, right? Because if you're, you're, you're watching your back, which is exactly what society has become, where it's like, I can't do that. If I do that, I'm going to get owned. Nobody's going to care about me. So if I do that, I'm the one at the end of the day who's going to get nothing. This person is not going to turn the other cheek. This person is not going to, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then everything um, changes. Um, there, was, um, there was an atheist guy who was, who was writing to um, me at one point who was really angry um, about an anti-atheist video done by Christians, okay? So it was like Christians who were, because you know those videos where they would go out and interview Christians about science and like, be like, ah, oh, see, look, they're all dumb. Um, so the, the Christians went and made a video interviewing atheists about evolution and the majority of atheists that are in the video know nothing about it. Um, and like, ha ha ha, look how atheists are dumb. Right? So the guy was actually so angry. And I go, this is what happens with eye for an eye. <laughs> You're all dumb. Right? Like, is that this is not the point at, at all. Right? There are dumb atheists. There are dumb Christians. Okay? There are egotistical atheists and there are egotistical Christians. And there are corrupt atheists and there are corrupt Christians. So, like, are we, like, tallying up how many, like, stupid people exist in the world? Like, I don't know what their criteria is. So... If, if this is what eye for an eye does, right? Eye for an eye will make everyone defensive, makes everybody retaliate, it makes people say and do things that don't lead anywhere constructive because we're not dialoguing about truth, right? We're just arguing about moods and perceptions and, 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 and what have you. So I'm gonna go through, and I hopefully won't lag like yesterday, um, a few, not the whole Sermon on the Mount, because I hope that you guys study that on your own, like, but I'm going to use some parts of it. I'm also going to look at some parts of the Desert Fathers um, to just get you in the zone of what it looks like to lay down your will, what it looks like to be detached. Um, and that's why Desert Fathers are a good example for detachment. But um, when the Sermon on the Mount says, do not... If someone strikes you, do not resist, okay? Let him strike the other cheek, okay? And these are, again, these are just concepts I want to throw at you of, of saying, is this how you think, okay, or, or not? Because it's not how you think, you're, you're, not, you're not a disciple to the gospel, right? And again, I'm not taking shots, it's just that this, this is the gospel, it's not me. Um, let him strike the other cheek. So he's saying, put down your right to defend yourself. You have a right to defend yourself. And he's saying, put it down, right? Get, get rid of that. And actually, one of the fathers in there commenting on this verse was saying that to be struck on the right-hand cheek, if the person in front of you is a right-handed person, because usually they were, it actually means you just got backhanded, 
Um, like, like they're like it's actually more insulting than it <laughs> than it looks. Like it was literally like <laughs> like you took it. Um, I and I and I've seen a person who's lived this to the extreme. Like I I'm, I know a. a I don't know when we stop calling people converts, to be honest, because he's been a Christian longer than I've been alive. Um, but he converted from Islam when he was 12. He's in his 70s now. Um, and um, he was serving in India. And, and he had two incidents, one in Canada. We have no violence in Canada. It's just an exception. Um, and once in India. And in both cases, there's a Muslim coming to, to kill him. Um, and so this Muslim, he was very strong. Um, like Abuna, um, so the guy jumped him like to attack him and, and, and stab him, and Abuna like actually nailed him to the floor, um, and put his knee over his Adam's apple. I know this doesn't sound Christian so far, um, and and he had his knee over him, and he, and he said to him, he's like, I can kill you right now. I can kill you right now. I have the ability to kill you right now. My turning the other cheek isn't because I'm weak. My turning the other cheek is because I'm strong. So. I'm going to remove my knee from your Adam's apple. And if you'd like to kill me, you can go ahead. But if you wish, you can enter my house and we can have a cup of tea together. Um, and so he got off him and the guy went in and had tea. And they corresponded for years. I don't know if the guy ever converted or not. But, but he, was, he, he was giving a demonstration that he has the right but didn't. I don't think we need to do that. Like, then, like at work, you don't have to be like, listen, here's what I can do. I could sue you but I'm not, right? Like, then you're just threatening. But the idea of laying down your right, which is what our Lord did, right? Like, he's like, I, he, and he said it. He goes, I have authority over my life. I, I, I can decide whether to lay down my life or not. It's not compelled upon me. Um, I have authority. But he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't take it. So, lay down, lay down your right to resist. Right? Lay down your right, and that, that has so many manifestations. It could be how you're treated at work. Right? It could be how you're treated at home. Right? It could be in your, in your marital relationship. Right? Is that if you retaliate, what ends up happening is you, you, you justify the evil of the person in front of you. Right? Even though they're wrong. Right? Because then they're like, aha, I have to do this because if I don't do this, this person is going to do this to me. Right? And then it becomes proof of why they're doing the wrong. Right? Whereas, it's like when you're dealing with a teenager, right? it's like, just keep taking away the thing that they're using as their obstacles. Like, no, the reason I didn't do on school is because you make me do dishes. Right? And it's like, so it's like, okay, stop, don't worry, don't do the dishes. It's like, no, the reason why I'm not doing well is because you, you have my bedtime at like 10. Like, no problem, sleep whenever you want. Right? It's to keep taking away the excuses because then they're exposed to the reality that it's like, no, it's not the schedule, it's not your spouse, it's not your dad, it's not your mom. It's that you just don't study. That's what gets exposed when you don't retaliate to something. Right? But when you retaliate, then, then you bring out stubbornness, you bring out anger, you bring out wrath, you bring out all these, these things. Obviously... With parenthood, there's, it's a, there's something different. There's responsibility, but I'm talking about your own personal right. Um, if anyone would sue you and take your coat, let him have your cloak as well. Okay? And note that the word here is suing. Okay? Like, it's not just like the guy is asking you for your jacket. And it's not that he came up to you just like, I'm freezing cold. Could I have your jacket? No, he's suing you. He's, he's violently, forcefully, and unjustly trying to take something from you 
that does not belong to him. And our Lord is saying, let him have it. Right? Like, like, is that your mentality? Right? If you feel like you're being conned, if you feel like somebody is forcing you to give something that you don't think is just or fair, our Lord is saying, let them have it. Just leave it alone. Right? This is the mentality of, of, of discipleship. This is how we ought to be thinking. That's why in the, some of those questions that I asked you guys yesterday, I want you to go back to them in your head and say, is this, is this where my, my thoughts would have gone? Right? <laughs> if somebody had come up to me and said, hey, this person is, is demonstrating in, 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 in front of your place, forget what the topic was, right? would you be like, let them? Right? Or you'd be like, no, 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 no. I'm calling the police, I'm going to do this, and I have rights, and I have, like, because he's saying the opposite. He's saying, don't forget your rights. Don't, don't, don't even have them. Don't defend your own property. Don't have a concept of thinking that things are yours. That's why the starting point for him was saying, I'm homeless, okay? Are you ready to have nothing? Because if you're not willing to have nothing, you're going to struggle with this rule. <laughs> because you're like, no, but that's mine. I have property. And so this is why he starts off with, you have to renounce. If you don't renounce, you're going to struggle. Um, and, I mean, the Old Testament law also had built into it that you don't really own anything, to be honest. Um, that's why even in Deuteronomy, if you look at, um, I know I use this example a lot because I just think we forget that in the Old Testament, we tend to think only Ten Commandments. But a landowner wasn't allowed um, to abuse having been owner because it wasn't technically his, right? And so they had instructions that they would have to go through their harvest and only pluck once, right? Not clean off the trees, not to clean off the orchards. Why? Because he's saying, at the end of the day, then the poor of your people need to be able to come and find something to eat because it's not yours. They need to be able to eat. And so then they were allowed to eat. But then the Lord would say to them, only eat while you're there. Don't grab a whole bunch of food and take it home. That's not right either. Right, and then he even said, "Don't muzzle the the mouth of your of your beast. Let your beast eat. Right, this isn't yours. The food is for everyone: the animals, the humans, the rich, the poor. There's nobody who's not. This belongs to everybody. Right, and so I have to have that sense that if I have wealth, it's not mine. If I have money, it's not mine. If I have a big house, it's not mine. Right, and if I view it as that, I'm not actually in a spirit of discipleship whatsoever." Um, even though I might think I'm rich because Jesus loves me. Um, it might not be. Um, but the giving more is the loving part. It's, it's um, the part that hurts. Um, St. John Chrysostom, Chrysostom says, um, And just as after he had bidden not to call another fool, nor to the angry without cause, he went on and required more, and that he commanded to offer the right cheek also. Even so here, having said, agree with thine adversary, he again amplifies the precept. For now he orders us not only to give what the other would have, but even to show forth a greater liberality. So what, what St. John has been saying is, God is calling you not even just to say, yeah, let him hit you, or yeah, let, him, let them sue you, and take, like, just give him the thing. Um, but he's saying, give them more, more than they, than they expected. Which, honestly, I mean, this is not why our Lord said it, but that really shames people, <laughs> right? Like, have you ever, like, had a really negative expectation about someone, and you go in and they're so nice, and you feel like the biggest, like, jerk in the world? Um, 
that's what happens, right? Like when, when somebody is like, give me your jacket, thinking you're gonna like, like, no, here you go. Do you want, do you want my shoes? Right, but meaning it, right? Not even being sarcastic, right? And we're gonna see some examples from the Desert Fathers where they did this. Um, and I've seen this in some modern contexts. At my home church in Canada, for example, um, there was a whole contention, and I probably shouldn't have said that while being recorded, um, in many churches, actually, um, of the takeover of, of newcomers, right? This has been an ongoing conflict, right, of this sense of takeover. Like, they've taken our churches, they've come in and they speak Arabic and they've destroyed our culture, and we can't speak, and we've lost this and this and this. And those are true. Like, they are true factually, right? It's not malicious like that, but it is true that those events probably have, have occurred. Right? And so then it becomes like, no, they need to sit in their corner. They need to know that that's not okay. Um, they need to know X, Y, and Z. So, whereas that's not the spirit of the gospel, right? It's not wrong to have your own needs, and it's not wrong to have an English-speaking church. Those aren't wrong. Those are, those are needs, right? But it would be wrong that when somebody enters your home and they are, and you believe they're taking, so let's, let's, let's argue that they are taking it from you. Christ is saying, give it to them. They want your building, let them have your building. Go open a new building. That's fine, right? The, the, I'm going to be present. The, the relationship between me and you wasn't about this building, right? You can, you can rent a gym and I'll be with you in the gym because, because it was because of love, right? Because it was because of love, no, because you gave it up. Now that is a much deeper thing. This is how you get close to me because that's the language of love, right? And so I will build you up and I will give because there are things that he does give, right, as, as a result of this. Um, I just don't know who wrote this quote, but one, one of the quotes that I had here was, what, then one man may say, am I to go about naked? Right, everyone's like, here, give me your, like, let me have your clothes. Um, and this is, uh, this is a, this, I think this is St. John Chrysostom as well, but he says, we, we won't be naked if we obeyed these sayings with exactness. Um, actually, we're going to be clothed more abundantly. For first, no one would attack men of this disposition. And next, if there chanced to be anyone so savage and ungentle as to proceed even so far, yet many more be found to clothe him who acted with such self-denial, not with garments only, but even with their own flesh, if were possible. So what he's saying is, don't worry about being naked, that everyone's going to steal your clothes. Because like, first of all, Somebody who behaves in this manner, who's so giving, isn't likely to be abused in that way. And if somebody is so vile and contemptible to do so, you're going to find 20 people that are actually disgusted by what that guy is doing, that they're going to put their clothes on you, right? And so basically the idea is if everybody lives the gospel, no one's going to be in need. Because you're giving everything, but when you need, you're also going to receive because everyone else is doing it too. Right? That's, that's the idea here. And that's why if we actually live the gospel, the world would, actually, would really actually be a really nice place. Like, can you imagine a place where like, you just don't argue? Right? Or where like, you, you don't just take stuff, everyone's just happy to give it to you. Right? Where the doors are open and you're not worried about being robbed because you don't believe that there's such a thing as being robbed. Because you already believe everything is everybody's. Because you're detached from it. Right? That you don't have a will, you don't have a desire, you don't have an attachment to say, this is my stuff. Whether the stuff is your thoughts, your opinions, your beliefs, your property, your food, your land, your language, whatever it is, these concepts can be applied. Um, if anyone forces you to go one mile, again forces you, go with him too. Give to him who begs from you and do not refuse him who would borrow from you. So what's being denied? My body. 
my goods. They're saying, no, go for that walk. Forget whatever it is that you have. Go for the walk. That guy needs a walk. Maybe he needs to vent. Maybe he's really down and he needs company. Maybe that person um, is that person at work for you who you find so annoying, right? And that you're being compelled to work with. Work with them and give them extra, right? They, maybe they, they need you. View it as providence, right? Of being like, this person needs company and I need theirs, right? Don't have like just an ego of like, um, I'm so nice that I'm, I'm so loving. Like, no. I, I see it as, I'm going to need someone to walk with me. This person needs someone to, to walk with them. I'm going to do it. That's my time. That's my energy. That's my feelings. That's my needs. That's my money, right? Who's compelling me because they need it? Right? Like these aren't arbitrary words. Maybe there's like, maybe you're servants and you find one of the kids just, I can't connect with that person. But nobody is connecting with that person. You need to connect with that person. Right? It's not about how comfortable you are. Right? Maybe there's that person who you know that's not even one of the people you serve, they're your, your, your peers, that never gets invited when the group goes out. Right? Maybe, maybe you need to actually, and, and you don't want to, like, nah, that guy is so, like, to eat, he's heavy. Right? Like, every time they come out, like, it's whining, and, like, the world sucks, and everyone's gonna die. Right? And it's like, so are you saying that the right thing to do is be like, go lock yourself up in your room, because we can't tolerate you? Walk with him. Right? Walk with that person. Right? And, 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 and see, you, 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 God didn't say solve it. Right? He didn't say find the solution for them. Right? He said, walk. Right? That person probably does want to go, to go out. Right? There's, <laughs> there's someone that I know who, like, like, nothing makes them happy. Right? And he was, <laughs> somebody was trying to get him, he was ill. So someone was taking care of him um, as, a, as a service. And this guy, um, the guy that was taking care of him, he invited some people over. And they would regularly come to check in on this guy. And when they came in, he was like, oh, if so-and-so wasn't here, would you have even called me? Right? Like, like, we, we, like everything had to be negative, right? But, and he was complaining about the guy who was there to help him, right? But just the person being there with that, like, like there was a lot of negativity. When the guy went to leave, he's like, no, <laughs> like, I need you, right? Like, there, there was still something happening. There was still something done, right, between them. And it's not up to anyone to assess what did or, or, or didn't. We have to offer the love. I should ask, why does this person want to walk a mile with me? Why might someone want my money? Why might someone need me to lend and empathize, right? Don't judge, empathize. Um, because this is who God is, right? This is how he exists. He's infinitely existing and giving to others. Right? He's, his son, as he said, rises upon the wicked and the righteous. Right? He doesn't have an atheist son right? and, a, and a Christian son right? and, and, and special reign for the Christians and acid reign for the atheist. Like, like that's not how he functions, so we shouldn't. Right? Like is that, and he, he says that. Um, you have heard how it says you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of your father who's in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
And if you salute only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Like if you're if you're going for this eye for eye thing, and you have hookups for those you like, you like how how are you anything special? Everybody likes people who like them, right? Everybody is willing to give to people who are nice to them usually. Um, so what's being denied? Even your right to hate, um, which as we said yesterday is. Um, to not choose, right? To not prefer and say, no, deny that right, right? Take that away from yourself. You don't have the right to treat somebody differently just because you're not particularly fond of them. You're even being denied your natural impulse to wish the worst on the person who has owned you. Like he's saying, if somebody has slaughtered your child, if you want to be perfect, deny your right to wish that he gets slaughtered too which is the natural human impulse. Well, it's not supposed to be the natural human impulse, but it's become the natural human impulse, right? He's saying, get rid of that. Lay that right down. Um, otherwise, you are not perfect because he's like, as we said yesterday, he is the image of perfect humanity. He did that, right? He, w- he was himself being killed and they were totally treating him not nicely um, as they were doing it and he didn't open his mouth. Right? He didn't say, You're, you guys are messed up. Um, he had no response to them. Um, in fact, he was saving them while they were doing it. Right? Like, like the, the act was so much more meaning, meaningful. Um, so the Jews had laws that loving their own, but God is now extending this beyond the community. Uh, beyond, to, beyond your own community, sorry. Um, for example, like Jews... Um, and I, I think this law still exists for them, but I'm not sure. They don't, they don't, they're not allowed to ask for interest from other Jews. But they could for non-Jews, right? Um, and so Christ's saying uh, that's not right, right? Like that's, that's not the way that, that you do things. So those are some examples from the, from, from, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I really think every Christian needs to regularly read the Sermon on the Mount. Like it's not something that should happen once every, every blue moon. Um, and so I'm going to use now some examples from the Desert Fathers of this detachment that we need to reach if we would be disciples, okay? Um, and so the Desert Fathers, some of these are, are images of success, but there's also lots of stories with the opposite in the Desert Fathers of where actually they messed up royally. Um, I like this one a lot, but on one occasion they went, this, the brethren went to Abba Aghafun because they had heard that he took the greatest possible care that his mind should not be disturbed by anything. Nothing troubles him, nothing gets him riled up, nothing can disturb his peace, he's that detached. Um, and they sought to test him, to try him, and to see if his mind would rise, if he could get a rise out of him. And they said, are you really uh, a ghafun? We're, we actually heard that you're a whoremonger and a boastful man. You sleep around and you're full of yourself. This is what they're, they're actually saying to him. And Agathon said to them, Yeah, I am. And again they said to him, Agathon, you are a garrulous and talkative old man. You are quarrelsome and you don't shut up. Um, which, especially in monastic circles, is, is not recommended. Um, and he said unto them, Yeah, indeed, I am. And again they said unto him, Agathon, you are a heretic. And he said to them, I'm not a heretic. Then they said unto him, Tell us why you answered yes to everything. <laughs> but when it came to heresy, um, you, you rose. 
Avarovan said to them, the earlier things I counted as profitable to my soul. Um, but heresy means separation from God, and I do not wish to be separated from God. And when the brethren heard these words, they marveled at his solicitude. Right? Is that this detachment is, is saying, no, I care about one thing only is my discipleship to him. So you can't separate from me. My, my, my whole life mission is to be his. So no, you don't get to take me away from my master. But if you want to call me names, he didn't even say, it didn't bother me because they're not true. He was like, no, I found it profitable. Right? Because a person who is really focused on where can I prove will actually take any criticism as on some level true and say, I am, I am adulterous. I do sleep around. I let my eyes look at anything that I want. My eyes aren't on my, only on my lover who is God. My eyes are everywhere, right? And I am quarrelsome. Even if it might not be out loud, it might be with my mood and it might be in my thoughts. No, like, a person will start to self-accuse and say, yeah, these, all, all these things might be true and maybe God wanted me to hear them so that I can learn something. But don't take away from me my relationship with my God. No, that's, that's the line. Um... On one occasion, some philosophers came to the desert to try the monks. Um, so these were pagan philosophers. Um, and there was living there a man who led a, a life of fair works. And they said to him, come, he- come here. And his anger arose and he reviled them. Um, now there passed by a certain great monk who was a Libyan. And they said to him, O thou monk who has grown gray-headed in iniquity, come here. And he went to them readily. And they slapped him on the cheek, whereupon he turned the other to them. And when they saw this, they rose up straightway and worshipped him. And they said, Verily, this is a monk. Then they set him in their midst and asked him, saying, What, thing do you, what things do you who are living in the desert do more than we do? Like, what's so special about what you're, you're doing? You fast, and we fast. Like, we're pagans, but we're fasting too. You lead pure lives, and we do too. Um, whatsoever you do, we do as well. So what is it that you who live in the desert do more than we? The Libyans said to them, we watch over our minds. And the philosopher said to him, we are unable to keep watch over our minds. (laughs) Um, Because again, there is a focus on the instruction. Okay, if you would be a disciple, your mind has to be there, right? It has to always go back to the gospel. Like if asking those questions, your first impulse was, well, I think, right? Ask yourself, was the I think at all going back to any reference? Or was the reference going back to yourself? Because it's going back to yourself, that's not discipleship, right? It should have been what's in my mind is immediately filtering through who am I? What is my identity as a disciple? Um, I really like, there's like 10 of these in a row in the paradise. On one occasion, thieves came to the cell of an old man and said to him, we have come to take away everything which you have in your cell. And he said unto them, my sons, take whatever you please. And they took everything which they saw in his cell and departed. Now they forgot to take a wallet which was hanging there. And the old man took it and ran after them and entreated them, saying, My son, take this wallet which you left behind in your cell. It didn't say my cell, but you left behind in your cell. And when the thieves saw this, they marveled at the good disposition of the old man, and they gave back everything which they had taken from his cell. And they repented and said to each other, Verily this man is a man of God. Right? There's a whole bunch of, of these in a row. That he, like, when they say he took all the stuff in his cell, that was probably, like, five things, right? Like, like it's not like he had, like, this is, like, fifth century, right? So he probably had, like, a water pot, right? And then maybe a Bible if he was literate. Um, like, and, and clearly a wallet, because they would sell their basket stuff and then use that to buy their food, right? So 
It's not like he had lots, but he's calling it yourself. This is the detachment at its highest. He's saying, you know, I genuinely see my property as yours, right? It's like, like someone walking to your house and, and, and being like, no, open the fridge, go into whatever room you want. This is, this is yours. Um, similarly, on one occasion when some men of iniquity and doers of wickedness and thieves rose up against him on the eve of the day of the congregation, when, they, when the, the monks get together, an old man said to the brethren, let them do their work and let us do ours. Okay, so while they're praying, they're aware that there are thieves. And so they're like, should we start praying and go, and go stop them? That's, my, that's our right. And they say, no, that's, let them do their work and we'll do ours. Our work is praying. If their work is stealing, respect their trade. <laughs> right? Let them, let them do their thing. That's how, I tell you, like, the undisturbed is not like, okay, let's, most of us are like, let's either leave or, okay, can we at least rush the prayer? Um, like, so that we can get back and, and find out what did I lose. He just doesn't care. He's that detached. He's like, who cares what we lost? It's God who's going to provide. Um, and when certain evildoers rose up against one of the brethren in his cell, he brought forth a basin to keep coming to this washing feet thing and entreated them to wash their feet. And the thieves were ashamed and, and repented, <laughs> right? Where that he's offering even that courtesy. He's like, no, 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 you've come a long way, right? We all know that, um, actually, one of the stories in this is St. Macarius, like that did similarly. Um, and it was a result of, of, of people even becoming monks because they were so moved by it. And for you, you're not going to make anyone become a monk when you're not a monk, but you might make them consider being a Christian because they are seeing that you are reflecting the image of the true God. Um, the Blessed Pior was one occasion working for a man in the fields in the summertime, and he was tired, and reminded the Lord of his hire about his wages. So he hasn't been paid yet, okay? So he goes and he reminds the, the boss, I haven't been paid. And when the boss delayed in paying him, Abba Pior returned to his monastery. And on another occasion, when the time of harvest had arrived, Abba Pior went to the same man and reaped his crops with a good will, and he returned to his monastery, the man having given him nothing. And keep in mind, like, him having nothing means he's going to have to just beg. It means he's not going to eat. Right? It's not wages because he just wants to get rich. It's literally his only way of eating. And again in the third year, okay, this is three years straight that he's got no money. Abba Pior came and helped him to harvest his crops. And when he made an end of the work of harvest according to custom, and yet received nothing, he departed again to his monastery. Meanwhile, the man who was worthy of blessing labored according to his custom and the life and works of spiritual excellence and rejoiced that he'd been defrauded of his hire. So this, this guy, this monk, is just like this is good, like I got to get a chance to learn um, and it's good that I, 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 I didn't get money. And Christ worked upon the Lord of his hire in his house and he took the wages of the blessed man um, so now the owner comes to his senses by providence, by the work of God and he went round about among the monasteries searching for this monk to pay him and when after the greatest difficulty he found him, he fell at his feet and begged him to receive his wages but when the holy man refused the wages he said Perhaps you need them. As for me, God will give me my wages. The man increased his supplications unto him, and finally the holy man permitted him to give the money to the church. Right? Like, this is how detached he becomes. He's like, no, this is great. I got a chance to see it. And, and why? Because probably this, this blessed monk saw that when he didn't have attachment to the wages or the money or his rights to say, it's my right to be paid. I did the work. You hired me is that he's saying, I found that God gave me more than what I needed, and what a, what a much more beautiful thing to receive it directly from the hand of God, right? So, no, if you need your money, take it, no problem. 
right? I'm able to do this, then no problem. This is, this is what we should be aspiring to. And this is not, and, and, and lest you think, okay, this is, this is for monks. No, it's, it's not, right? It could be, for example, at work, where you think that you've worked all these extra hours and that you didn't get paid for it, right? Are you going to demand it? Are you going to fight and scream, right? Or are you going to say, maybe God doesn't want me to have it, right? This person turned, turned everything to the providence of God, right? Maybe he doesn't want me to have it. This person stole my work. Maybe if I had gotten credit for this work, I would have perished in another way. God wants me to not do it. I will accept it from my master. I'm ready to leave that behind as a disciple. I'll leave behind the credit. I'll leave behind the work. I'll leave behind the thing that I, that I did that I didn't get credit for. Versus the opposite, right? Where it's like where you might even steal clock hours, right? And be like, because I worked this much and didn't get paid for it, so I don't feel guilty that I get like this many hours and justify the wrong. Um, a certain brother was estranged from a fellow monk, and he came to Allah Shishoy the Theban and said to him, I am estranged from a fellow monk, and I wish to take vengeance for myself. So he's, he's, he's pissed, right? And he's mad at this monk, and he's like, no, I, I'm angry, and I'm going to take my revenge. And the elder said to him, okay, let's pray. And while he was praying, the old man said this prayer, oh God, henceforward we have no need of you to take care of us, for we will take vengeance for ourselves. And when the brother heard these words, he fell down at the feet of the old man and said to him, Henceforward, I will not enter into judgment with that brother. Forgive me, Father. Right? Uh, like, we're, we're, we're all inclined to this. Right? But this, this old man living the gospel and just saying out loud, telling you this is what you're doing. Right? Like in plain English, what you're doing is saying, God, you have... Malakshalazna, mm, right? You have, there's no need for you. Right? Because I got this. Right? Don't worry about it. Um, so that we have a, a female representative. They used to say about Amma Sarah, Mother Sarah, one of the most uh, beautiful desert saints in the history of the church, um, who dwelt above the river and was 60 years old, that she had never looked out from her abode and seen the river. So I used to read those things as a kid and be like, I don't know what's wrong with the river. Um, <laughs> But that's not the point here, right? The point is not to say that the river is evil. There's another one of, of, of an old man who said that he always had his head down, that he didn't know what the ceiling looked like. I was like, that's kind of lame. Um, but the, the reason for the saying is that there is a discipline to say, I don't want to look beyond anything that will distract me from where I ought to be. Okay? that I don't want to be ever put in a position where I have the option of choosing something that it goes against my discipleship. So it's like, for us, what that would be like um, is knowing that there's a place of sin and still being okay with going. And I don't just mean like the club or the hookah bar, okay? But I also mean that that can be at work, right? That could be, you know, you're a married person, you know that somebody is hitting on you. And you're like, I'm not going to be affected. I'm, I'm going to keep working in this office. It pays well. I, like I, this is a real example. It's not just that I, my mind goes there. Like, if, if you got the mindset of what I'm saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to look at that river. I'm not going to allow myself to even know what it looks like. I don't want the option. Right? I, I, I need to be detached. Because if I step there, probably I'm going to do something that I'm going to regret. Right? But... 
at the very least, if I don't go at all, I, there's no way that I'm going to regret because I'm just not there, right? And this is, this is why there has to be a, a detachment because if you care about your money more, then it means to be a disciple, to be pure, to be upright, to be whatever the Lord calls. If you care more about the money because that office pays more, then money mattered more to you, okay? Then, then like what Christ saying, then you are not my disciple because this is all optional to you. This is not, this, this way of life is not an optional way of life. Um, Abba Piman used to say, he who labors, I'm using these examples of fulfillments of the gospel, just so that you know what the point is. He who labors and keeps the, the results of his work for himself is a twofold grief. Okay, so he's saying that a person who, who's worked and got money for it and views the money as his own, that guy's in a sorry state. Again, saying, it's not yours, right? It is, it is, it is not yours. Um, on one occasion, two old men came to an old man whose custom was not to eat every day. And when he saw them, he rejoiced and said, Fasting has its rewards, and he who eats for the sake of love fulfills two commandments, for he sets aside his own desire, and he fulfills the commandment and refreshes the brethren. So the point of using this example is to say that your attachment might even be to your asceticism. Okay? Your attachment might even be to your image of righteousness. Right? And so, um, I'll use me as, I, I like to use me as a bad example. Um, in, in college, I thought I was really holy, um, but I just slept really late. So I'm like, I should fast to like 4 p.m. or 6 p.m. or 9 p.m. because it's no big deal to me. Um, and I just wanted to set records. Um, and so my father convention is like, you're going to fast till noon. Um, and I'm like, that sucks. Um, I'm capable of more, but whatever. If that's what he thinks that I can do, I'll, I'll be obedient. Um, and so one time we prayed liturgy together, and we happened to finish at like 11 or something like that. And so Abuna was like, hey, do you want to come over and have breakfast with me? And I looked at him, and I was like, I'm fasting until 12. And he looked at me, <laughs> and he was like, you don't ever tell your father confession you're fasting. Um, he's like, that's, like, like, that's so arrogant. Um, and it was, where it just kind of like, you mean break my fast, right? <laughs> you're the priest, and you want me to break my fast. Um, which this monk is saying the opposite, where he's like, no, asceticism has a purpose. But if I lay down my asceticism for the sake of love because the brethren have come to see me, this is holier. Right? He's like, this is the act of love. Right? So, I mean, don't go away to invite people to break your fast, right? But if you have somebody that, that comes, um, is that he, he rejoiced and he said, for the sake of love, I'm fulfilling the commandments. I'm set aside, setting aside my own desire to continue in my abstinence. Um, and I'm fulfilling another commandment that I'm supposed to refresh the brethren when they come to me, right? That I'm supposed to offer them, right? But if you walk into a, the person, imagine if you walk in someone's house and they just don't offer you anything, right? Like not even like, do you want like a cup of water? And it's like, because they're fasting. It's like, mm -hmm, can I help you? And then sitting there with their head down because they're fatigued and, and whatever. It's like, if this is what your love does, like, I'm not really interested, right? Like, that was the suckiest visit I ever had. Um, finally, an old man used to say, I have desi I've never desired any work which does good to myself and harm to my neighbor. And I have the hope that what is of benefit to my brother, 
will be labor that is beneficial to me. And that will be a thing that will invite a reward for me. So this person views himself in the sense of the whole of community, right? That everything that I do is for my good and the good of the community and the same thing of my brother. One of the members of the Brotherhood, I won't say his name since we're in LA, um, but this thing that he said when he was, when he was in his like, novitiate stage that w- w- very much moved me. Because we would all be going out, um, serving, doing stuff, visiting, like we were active. Um, and he was in the year where they don't, he doesn't leave the, 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 the abbey. Um, and I felt badly, right? Like, as soon as I'd come back and it's like, he's cooked and he's cleaned and like, and like usually often we would cook for ourselves, but he would have made stuff like for us. And so I was being apologetic and he, and he said it and there, he wasn't joking, he wasn't faking. He was like, he's like why, 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 why are you even like apologizing? He was like, I'm excited. I feel when you're out serving youth, I'm serving, you, you, you're, we're all serving because you're out there. My cleaning and my cooking is me participating in your service. And I believe that what you're doing is participating in mine. Um, and it was, it was so authentic. Right, like it wasn't just like like fake stuff. It was it was real. Right, that he's so detached. He was so detached from these concepts that we all hold on to, and from praise, and from honor, and from dignity, and from um, freedom to go out, and freedom to to do whatever it is that we were doing that I thought maybe he would want to do. Right, this is this is where we should be aspiring to be if we want to be disciples. Um, so, what does it look like for a disciple? of Jesus, our Lord, not to be part of this world, it's so simple. It means you are dead. It means you are dead to the world. That is not just a monastic thing. If you want to be in the world but not of the world, it means be dead to the world. There's no connection to this world. Reactions, emotions, um, property, everything. You're detached from it. You live off of the will of the Father. That becomes your food. This is what we talked about yesterday. Your, your whole being becomes about living the will of God. And so your question for anything that comes up as a, do I do this, do I not do this, has to be, what is the will of God in this thing? So, have in your mind these concepts, detachment, okay? That's like, reading the Desert Fathers is a good idea, not to apply what they did without guidance, but to read it as a sense of what does it look like to be detached. Remember your own death is a piece of advice that I, w- I would give. It's not morbid, but it puts things in context, right? Of being like, like St. Paul the Anchorite. What triggered his becoming an Anchorite was he was suing his brother. They were actually suing each other over their inheritance. And on the way to court, he saw the funeral of a dead guy going by, and he was like, that was a rich guy who died, and that money's going nowhere. And he literally just goes like, take it, and he, and he bounced, right? So... Remembering that you're going to die puts into perspective, what is it that I'm so fussed up about? Is it my money? I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm dead. God doesn't use our currency up there. Um, Christ, our Lord, showed us the oneness of will. Okay, that this is where we're aspiring to, is that we're trying to, to, to know the will of the Father. In that guarding Gethsemane, he said that if it were possible for the cup to be passed, then yes. But nonetheless, not my will, but thine. And laying down the will becomes the most liberating thing. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I, you might not believe it, but it is the most liberating thing. Because absolutely nothing will be able to bind you. 
Not a woman, not a man, not money, not position, not strength, not physique, not who you're in love with, nobody. When you have total detachment, nobody can reign over you. In any like classic story when they want to get to the guy to break him if they're being tortured, they're like, what does he love? Right? What does he love? Because that's where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight him. Right? Maybe it's his wife, maybe it's his wealth, maybe it's reputation. But when you don't care about those things, because God is with you regardless, they can't take away God from you. Right? This is a new covenant. Then you're like, no problem. You want my clothes? Problem. Take it. You want my money? You can have it. I don't care. Right? It puts you in the most powerful position. Because it's all you want is the truth. And the only thing that brings you joy is the truth. And God is the truth. And so everything else to you is going to be like, whatever. Right? Like, and, and, it's, and if you've met people like this, I've met people like this. It's, it's breathtaking because they're the most carefree people in the world. And not in like the hippie style, right? But in the sense that they just don't care. Where it's like, yeah, they, 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 they accuse you of this. And they're just like, oh, okay. Anyway, um, <laughs> did you want a drink? Like, <laughs> like, like, like you're expecting them to get worked up and they don't because they just don't care. Um, it's a death-defying freedom because those who die to themselves also rise. And so death even becomes irrelevant. Even death becomes something you don't fear. It becomes just a moment in time and nothing else. To be a disciple is to lay yourself down to serve everyone. It is to put the towel around your waist and get on your knees and wash everyone's feet. This is discipleship. The Lord didn't care about his prestige as God. He let the Pharisees trample all over him. He allowed the high priest's servant to slap him across the face, asking him, do you know who you're talking to? Right, the irony of it, where like, our Lord could have been like, that's my slave. Right, he's theoretically the high priest of me. Right, like, like, and you're asking me, do you know who he is? Right, doesn't, doesn't say, you're an idiot. Um, he allowed harlots and adulterers and outcasts to touch him and feel him. He gave them meaning and restored them. He didn't care what people said of him or of them. The woman washing his feet, like we said yesterday, we're not going to do that analogy again. It was scandalous, um, especially not with Satan here. Um, <laughs> he permitted everyone <laughs> to touch him. Um, so if you wish to be his disciple, sorry, Satan, no. Um, <laughs> If you wish to be his disciple, strip yourself of the ego that is the will, okay? And see the image and likeness of God in everyone and serve them. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you know, that I, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If then, and this is an instruction to us because we are, we are his disciples. If then your Lord and your teacher, your, your rabbi, your master, your whatever title you want to give me, if, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Amen, amen, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
Any questions for Sayyidina? <laughs> have my friend. <laughs> you talked about being detached and carefree, but wouldn't that be like a fine line between being connected to God and being apathetic? No, it means that you know the place of things. You know what they're for. So a person who's objective knows what the purpose of a, of a thing is. Right, so for example, I was in office in, in a traditional monastery before, so I had no cell phone, I had no computers, blah, 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 blah. Right, so now I definitely have a cell phone, I definitely have a computer, and I'm arguably way more attached than I ought to be. However, ideally, right, a person could say, all right, so my phone has a use in the service, my computer has a use in the service. So, but if they take it away from me, will I be upset? Right, that's the question to find out whether I'm actually detached or not. Not even just to ask it, it would be to just do it, right, for it to be taken away. Um, so it's about knowing what is the purpose, what is the role, what is the meaning, and only sticking to that meaning, but not being attached to whether I actually have it or not. Because God himself can fill and God himself will provide, which is a measure of faith. So it shouldn't lead to, like for example, the gospel calls upon us to use our gifts, right? And like our Lord condemned the one who buried the gifts. So for example, I ought to do well in my work to the best of my ability, whatever my work is. Right? I ought to do well in my studies to the best of my ability. It's not okay to be like, I have the kingdom. Um, because God said, no, I gave you gifts. And if one of them is academia, then you need to use it. Not everyone has that gift. Right? So that's why a person, for example, this is a problem with society. But like, to me, if somebody were to not go to college um, and did an apprenticeship, I don't think that's wrong. If that is genuinely them using the best of their gifts. Right? If it's because they were slacking off, then I would be like, that's wrong. Right? But if it's because this is actually my tarkiba, my, my constitution, right? then it's different. So I, I won't be apathetic, no. Um, not in the negative sense. I'll be apathetic in a spiritual sense, because actually the highest level of detachment is called apatheia, um, which is to be um, passionless, where, like, to not be moved by anything. But you still have to be passionate about God, though. Yeah, in the sense that you love him. But what does to love him mean? So to love him doesn't mean to be emotional. It's like, if that's what it means, then no. So if I'm not crying every time I say the Lord's name, it doesn't mean I don't love him, right? Like, one of the things that I worry about sometimes with the, the songs, and I, I, I like the songs I was singing along, but is that, like, is sometimes we, we associate emotionalism with prayer, where it's like, oh, this one moves me like, so much, and like, and lighters, and, and it's like, that, that's not being passionate about God necessarily. It, it may be for some individuals, but I'm just saying that that's not necessarily what it looks like. It's more of the response of love, because we all, we all show emotions in a different way, but love, ouch. Um, <laughs> that looked painful. Love is, love is an objective thing. <laughs> um. Should I call you Alex again, Jeremy? I mean, I sat next to him, so <laughs> uh, it might be a silly question, but it kind of goes off of the last thing. Um, we talked yesterday, especially since we talked yesterday, about how Jesus said there's no greater sacrifice, or there's no greater act of love than to sacrifice for someone you love or for a friend. Um, and it does not matter when you when you. When you love someone, you're invested in them. So how do we reconcile 
this detachment that we're talking about with discipleship with a uh, call to love others as well. So like, you gave examples in your stories where uh, the monks are being robbed or, or we're not to be bound by anything, that if we, we are detached, nothing will bind me. And, and you even said in the list, like, or the one you're in love with, and then in the, the following line you say, so you will not be upset by whether you lose those things or not. Um, how do I reconcile loving someone and not being upset by the loss of them or if they're threatened to not be moved by it to act in their defense or something like this? So that doesn't mean you can't act in their defense because that's not your own right that you're defending. You're defending someone else's, which we are called to do in the gospel, right? Um, I just have to, when I come to the defense, do it in the, in the right way, which would be, what does the gospel say? Like, that should always be the question. What does the gospel say? Um, which in itself, which is talk for, requires a discipleship to someone else so that you're not just self-interpreting what is the right thing to do. But if I believe, let's say, for example, like, obviously I'm going to defend my, I don't have one, but if I had a wife, I would defend my wife as, as appropriate to do. But let's say, for example, my wife was murdered. I say this ideally. I don't know what my real reaction would be because I'm not perfect. But let's say my wife was, was, was slaughtered. If I genuinely believe in the promises of God and not just words, and if genuinely my goal is what it should be, which is unity with God in, in the kingdom, then I am going to genuinely believe that even though she had a horrible moment of passing that she is exactly where I was hoping and wanting for her to be. And so I should actually have the most comfort in that. So I will be emotionally obviously hurt, right? Because of the attachment that I had to this person, which our Lord himself demonstrated. He wept when Lazarus died and he knew he was gonna raise him, right? So like, like that's different from love. Love is a much more objective thing. Like love is not emotion. They're not at all the same thing. The love is just the self-denial part. And so how I feel is a whole other story. How I feel might push me to behave in a certain way that could contradict love, but how I feel is not itself love. Like, so it might actually be, if I'm translating this right, more loving to react the way that you're saying where it wouldn't, like, to deny yourself the, the right to be as moved and, and full of emotion about it for like a prolonged period of time would actually be a more loving thing since you're denying yourself that. That yeah. to be selfish about it. Yeah, and saying that the, if I believe that the Lord knows what is best for her and for me, right? And so this had to have been the best for both, is, is to have that conviction, right? Because when, when you follow someone, you're, you're, you're putting faith in them, right? So you, you, I would hope that you believe in the goodwill of the one you're following. Because if, if the person you're following is, is malicious, Right, you're you're not gonna be that keen to, to follow, right? And so, and in our case, we're saying this is God who is all good, right? And so, God's promises we're saying to us as disciples, which is the next talk. I never said you're not gonna suffer. You're gonna suffer, right? What they did to me, they're gonna do to you. So you're gonna suffer, but I'm I'm with you in the suffering. So I'm not gonna ditch you during it. And if you trust me and work with me. I can work good from you. I can work good from your evil. Um, and so that, that would be the right mindset of, of, of the disciple based on what our, what our Lord said. Mm, cool. Yeah, I, re I remember Shetty's name. <laughs>
Just a side note, uh, I found room 218's key. Um, my question is, um, for people who are very goal-driven, how do they kind of balance setting goals for themselves out of their work and things like that, and also managing God's will? Because if you're not, I don't mean to use the word passive, but like, you want to be able to let God work through you, but at what point can you set yourself those goals to be also used by God, or do you just kind of allow that? No, by always making it secondary to the gospel. Right? Like if somebody, for example, is like, yeah, sure, this job is going to make me work on Sundays, but it helps me become a manager. And maybe when I'm a manager, I won't have to do that. Right? It would be like, is that the right mentality? Right? I'm not going to comment if that's the right decision or not. But if that didn't even cross my mind, right, then for sure my career matters way more than, than, than the gospel does to me. If, for example... Um, I know a person who was in a really tough job market um, in, as a drug rep in drug sales, and it's really hard to get a job in that, and it's hard to get it shortly after like, graduating. Um, in his interview, um, in his second interview, they took him to a strip club and told him that he had to go to a booth for a one-on-one and I said, this is to see how far you're willing to go to seal the deal, because if you're not willing, we don't want you. Right? So, like, I mean, that's an extreme example. Like, it's not often like that in your face. But is my job in any way taken away from the gospel? Is it taking away from my duties as, as a family member, whatever role that is? Right? Is it, is it taking away from my concentration um, in my spiritual life? Is it preventing me from serving if I'm a, a servant? Because if all of the things that are doing is making you focus on you, then it's, it's, then it's selfish. Then it's not the gospel, right? So I was like, it has to be secondary. <coughs> success is not wrong, right? Like I'm not, I'm not shooting down to success and we ought to be proud of those of our community that are successful. But I have to do it in the right way, right? And I'm a firm believer, like I really am a firm believer that God does give. That's why he just say, please choose me and I will show you. I, I will show you that I, I will give you more than what you need. That's why he says, seek first the kingdom. He's like, I know you have all of these. I know you need these things. I know you need a place to sleep. I know you need food. I know you have kids. I know. I'm just saying, please choose me first. And I will give you all the stuff that you need as well. If that's the mentality, it's fine. But if I have a question of balance... Already in my mind, I feel like something must have gone awry, because a person who that's all they think about is the goal first. That that something that thought wouldn't come to mind because they are already thinking that way, right? Like like I like I know somebody who like was offered like a really really good job and he just he didn't even ask how much it was being paid because it meant that he was like, he was really into youth service, so it was like. No, that means I'm, 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 I'm working Fridays and Saturdays. Like, he's going to be off on Sundays. Like, no. Like, right off the bat. Um, and he's like, I don't care how much they're, they're paying for me. That, that's a non-negotiable for me. So a person who's got their, their eye on the prize, they know what the non-negotiables are. And so everything is going to flow very, very, very naturally. Can you give us 
an example of some injustice that would be committed against your, or not you, but like some, something that maybe I would struggle with or something, an injustice committed against me or an injustice committed against a person that they actually should aim to work against. To work against? Like in the beginning you were saying, uh, it, it, for example, that a, a wife is being abused at home by her husband, like that, that there, that's a situation that you can't always just say like, that that's fine. Like, can you give yeah. us an example of a situation where we should? So I'll actually this? give an analogy to make maybe to make it easier because I don't because so many things are situational. So perfect love is to be willing to die. Okay, so there's a spouse who might even be willing to die, but they say that that is perfect love. That's what our Lord said. So the analogy that I like to use is let's say let's say the maximum human potential to, of of weight carrying is like a thousand pounds. Just making up a number. Okay. That's the human capacity, that's the maximum potential that any human could theoretically achieve, okay? But what I would say, so that to me is the natural, the real perimeter, the real boundary of love, okay? And it's confined within the gospel. But what we do need to be honest about is that we're not all able to carry thousands, right? So there are some people who can carry 50, and there are some people who can only carry like 40, there's someone who can carry 100, Right, And so if I can only carry 50 and I go and try and lift 100, I'm going to get injured. Right? And, and, and then actually everything falls apart. Right? And so that's why, and we'll talk about this with the guidance part on the, on the last talk, the, the struggle for each person should be like, if my capacity right now is 40, I ought to struggle for 41 this week. And next week I should struggle for 42 because I want one day to carry 1,000. I may die not having reached a thousand and that's okay. There's no problem with that. As long as I'm continually working towards it. So that's why I'd rather with that analogy than say when a person must because it depends on what someone's willing to handle. So I'm saying with that story that I said, it, it, that taught me the lesson. Because for me, that woman, like I, I was carrying 10 and she was carrying 400 and I, and I, I wanted to limit her to 10. And I was like, oh wow, she can lift, <laughs> right? Like I can't. <laughs> Right, like that, that's why I use that as an example. Whereas for another woman, maybe she can, she can carry, I don't wanna say only 100, um, but like another person might be able to carry 100 and say, no, this is the line for me because I can't, right? Because what if the end result is I don't believe in God, I don't believe in you, I'm gonna get violent, I'm gonna get aggressive, all in the so-called name of love, we haven't done anything holy there, right? There's nothing good that came out of that. Does that clarify? Yes. Okay. No problem. If it doesn't, let it come back. Because I, I just, I'm scared to say here's when you ought to and here's when you don't. Because it is very much dependent on how, on my capacity to love. And, and we define our capacity by the point at which you break afterwards. Yeah, and that's why, like for me, the rule most people that confess to me, I'd always say, um, do what you can plus one. Okay, because the plus one is the make it hurt. Um, like so that you've offered love. So like, let's say there's a guy who is constantly annoying and, and just whining and whining and whining and whining. So maybe, maybe you can't handle going out with them five days a week, right? Maybe what you can handle comfortably is once. So then I say then do it twice, right? Like, like push yourself to do it one more than you could handle. Um, and like, let's say like, and then, but to acknowledge, and this is the key, is to acknowledge that 
in the situation where a thing goes wrong, that it is my lack of perfection that is the problem, right? It's to say, unfortunately, I can't lift a thousand, and so I have to withdraw. You should, you should direct it at yourself, not towards the other person, to keep the humility. No problem. I was just gonna ask, um, how do you know your capacity limits? How do you know how much you can't give until it breaks you? This is a big part of the fourth talk, but that, in my view, um, needs to be from guidance, um, from, from a spiritual guide, and also from people who are very close to you, who know you extremely well, because that can be your spouse, can be your family, um, where they're watching you and being like, this is not healthy, you're changing, right? Like those who are closest can know, but that exposure, which we're going to talk about, is the most important because a, a skilled guide, and we're not all skilled, and I'm not claiming that I am at all, but um, knows what to ask. Um, it's like, a, like it should be like a physician, where the person's coming in with the symptoms and then knowing what to ask to be like, this is unhealthy, you're, you're going to die from this, you need to be re- removed. Um, so there's a, a huge part of it is the guidance. Another huge part of it is self-honesty and self-reflection. Um, regularly of being like what, where am I going with this am I able to do this, am I struggling am I not, um, and then just being honest with just point being like I, I, I don't believe that I, that I can um, and, and again our Lord is not going to be upset with us when we fall short right, like this is, life is a whole long learning thing right, and so we discover things about ourselves, when we're put into situations that bring out the worst in us, we're actually discovering something about ourselves we're discovering what virtues we lack, right? And we're discovering what things trigger us. So um, it would be guidance, it would be family, it would be self-reflection. And I'll probably go into a little bit more on the last talk. And then Maria. Just yell. Can someone pass the mic over to him? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, one thing that, because it's just such a difficult topic as far as detachment and um, self-denial, um, in that it's it's more of a it's a surrender to God. When you when you are turning the other cheek, you're not saying, oh, you know, uh, my dig- my dignity is nothing. No, it's you know. It's something I've already given over to God. He defends me. He protects me. My spouse, it's not, um, it's, it's not mine. In, uh, in the story of Abraham, when he surrendered Isaac on the altar, it's something that he received from God. And, and then he, um, and I think that the power to surrender comes from when we, you know, when we surrender our heart first to God. And, and it's not that these things don't matter. It's just that it's so much better when he is the one, you know, in control. He, um, and he, he says when, you know, he takes you, uh, when he slaps you on one cheek, give him the other as well. It's, um, I, it's, uh, it, it's that faith that he, um, you know, he made your image, made you in his likeness. He, um, he doesn't want you 
it's not that he, you know, he's trying to tear you down and be like fallish and all that. He, um, uh, it's like the question of ownership. Do you own yourself or does he own, does he own you? So I, I agree with everything you said except one thing maybe, and it's not a disagreement as much maybe the way of expressing, as I actually think, no, they, they aren't supposed to matter. Because the surrender that you're talking about, that's in the decision of discipleship, right? Like, like that's, that's what we're talking about yesterday when it's like, yeah, I'll go live with you. Like you, you, you have now surrendered. You said, I, I entrust myself to you, right? And so God is actually saying, don't let them matter because they are... Secondary. It's like a like a family that's so tight, for example, that they just they just don't care what people are saying about them. Like it's not even just like uh, no, someone's gonna defend me on my behalf and I'm gonna sit here. It, it's literally, I don't care. That doesn't have meaning, right? It, it doesn't have meaning because my meaning is in God, right? And that's why the language of some of the Agbeya and some of the early prayers where they say I'm a slave. It's language we don't like today. Um, but the reason for it um, is that a slave, as we said yesterday, had no meaning except in the owner. And so when these people would call themselves slaves, they're saying, I only find my meaning in you, right? Like if God didn't call a slave, right? But like he said, I call you friends. Whereas the person who, who is surrendering, to use the word you use, which I like, is saying, I want my meaning only to be in you. So any cussing, any, any violation of my so-called rights doesn't mean anything. Um, and I trust your benevolence. Yeah. Maria. Okay. Maria had one last one. But okay, because she had raised her hand and quietly. Okay. Um, I think by knowing that your rule is a gift and not your right, right? Like that if you're called to calling, if you're called to be a parent, God has entrusted you with his kids. If God has entrusted you as a servant, he's entrusting you with his kids, not your kids, right? If God has given us the grace of priesthood, it's even, to me it's even scarier. It's like, then they're not mine. Right? And so that has to be on the forefront. Like I was taught, and I, I, still, I taught this as a servant, and I still do this as, as a priest. When I go out to meet someone I don't plan, um, like I'm going to say this and this and this, and I'll pray beforehand and just say, Lord, this is your kid, not mine. Right? Whatever, whatever you have for them, you give. If you're able to work through my weakness to your glory, that is all, that's all you. Right? So have that on the forefront of our minds, whether it's parenthood, anything. That no authority that we have is ours by right in any, any way. And that the proper use of authority has to be love. And if it's not, I've strayed from, I've strayed from the gospel. And that, that's going to be to my detriment. Um, he won't fault my kids for that. Um, he'll, fault, he'll fault me for that. Always remember the objective. Always remember the facts.